What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 52nd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. Question mark. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. How are you doing, Matt? Voting's coming up soon, dude. BFCA buddy, gotta yeah. vote. Yeah, gotta vote. Gotta watch as many movies as I can between now and uh, next week, which is the first week of December as we're recording this at the uh, on a Thursday night on November 28th. Um you prepped you have a few more things to watch I got a few more things to do but i'm i'm i think i'm in good shape just in terms of getting the big ones out of the way and now i'm just kind of going back and and watching the stuff that i need to that are you know the smaller movies that either didn't play in toronto or or in canada or didn't get released in time like for example seeing watching the nightingale mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago uh, yeah. it was really helpful with ifc sending me a link uh, for that, and then you know, like there's a couple things that I know a lot of people really like that I haven't watched at like the Peanut Butter Falcon, yeah. Which they sent me a jar of peanut butter and jam. Did they? Yeah, nice. it's really good. What brand? It's like a like a, a fancy home, like a bougie ass yeah one. homemade yeah. company. Very nice. Yeah, but yeah, I feel like it, it's it's weird. I mean, we're almost in December here. It is American Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. Um, America. You, uh, you, I hope you guys are enjoying turkey and ham and stuffing and uh, mashed potatoes or hungry and, man uh, dinners if you're alone. <laughs> sure. and yeah, single. Um, but yeah, the the year's wrapping up, and I mean, uh, we're gonna record our uh, next week's episode will be a uh, our best of the decade episode. I got a lot of great lists sent in for everyone, so stay tuned for that. Eric and I will each be sharing our best of the decade list on next week's episode. And But it's interesting, the end of the year, the end of the decade, we've seen pretty much all the big heavy hitters. The only thing left, I mean, there's a couple things left with Rise of Skywalker and uh, Bombshell, I think. Cats. Um, cats, yeah. <laughs> Richard Jewell. Um, so those are the only ones that I kind of have left for the rest of the year, and then it should be... But, I mean, obviously, Rise of Skywalker is probably my most anticipated thing of the year. And, of course, it'll be, like, one of the last things that I see. So Yeah, and we um, also have reviews of Little Women in 1917. Which were the two big he- heavy hitters that we kind of had left before. Yeah, and um, they're holiday films, so they'll be yeah. opening on uh, December 25th. Yeah, so go uh, check those out right now. But if you guys didn't know, this podcast is the Untitled Movie Podcast, where each and every week you can... Listen to Eric and I ramble on for usually two plus hours about uh, what the hell's going on in our lives, uh, what things we're watching at home, what movie trailers are out there, what news is going on, uh, what you guys can pick up on digital and Blu-ray and a bunch of other nonsense. Uh, Like Eric mentioned, if you like this, we have another podcast called The Untitled Movie Reviews where Eric and I get together and review a new release film or an upcoming release film like Eric mentioned with both Little Women and 1917, which you guys can check out right now. We also have a review for Frozen 2 as well uh, that you guys can listen to. Um, Coming up, we'll have reviews of the movies that I mentioned there like Bombshell, Richard Jewell, uh, Rise of Skywalker. What else is coming up? Cats. Uh, Cats we probably will review. We kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's also, uh, I mean, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that's opening right now that you can go back to our, our TIFF archives yeah. and, and listen to our thoughts on, you know, movies like Waves or, you know, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and, and things like that. Yeah. I love, love, love Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's great. So you guys should go listen to that conversation that we had during our TIFF roundups. But, and go see it right now because it's great. 
Uh, Eric, what else is up, man? That's actually a really good family, like like a holiday, like Thanksgiving film. Yeah. or like yeah, holiday movie. Like I, I want to text my parents and and tell them to go see that and um, a few other things. I mean, The Irishman is out today. On, yep, on uh, Netflix. On Netflix, so you guys can go watch that. Flix with the fam. If it wasn't playing in your town, um, you can. I mean, I still suggest if you uh, if it's playing in a theater to is try. Is it still playing at the Lightbox? I believe so, because um, it's it's also playing at the Paradise Theater, which just right. recently opened in Toronto. Yes, uh, I think their actual film programming starts December fifth, and where they will be playing Irishman and Marriage Story is long. Uh, their whole lineup is out, so you guys should go check that out. Uh, we should try to go. Yeah, in yeah. I, I saw that they also will be playing uh, some holiday-related movies like The Silent Partner, which shot in and around Toronto. So. Elf. Yeah, Elf. I love Elf. Classics, um, all classics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Elf. I have no shame in saying that. Oh, John, it's it's um, great. I mean, it's it's probably one of my favorite John Favreau movies. Yeah. That and Zathura. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, what else is up? Uh, well, uh, you're heading back to LA again. Yes. Uh, I, I yeah. Well, I was well, just, you're in, just LA. in LA. Yeah, and yeah. You're going met back, Anthony Hopkins. So. Yeah. Okay. How was that? It was pretty good. I mean, it was kind of weird how they brought him out. It was very much like in 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 the film where did they light off white smoke and then he came? No, 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 no. I don't know if I should because I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. Like, I don't think it really is. But at one point during the movie, he leaves the 16th chapel and he goes out the way where the public are yeah and they kind of did that with bringing him out to see the critics that came to sure the screening and, and the, the breakfast function or whatever yeah yeah or the brunch or, or and um did they serve fanta at the brunch no they didn't that's bullshit dude but i have to say this and this is all again i like i get i'm very lucky to be doing this and to have these you know benefits of 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 going to la and 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 you know meeting people like that and also you know going to really nice restaurants that aren't that i don't have to pay for and and and, and again like i I, like it's it's a certain amount of entitlement and and i totally get that um but at the same time you know you have to realize that um when you work hard from you know the beginning of January into the end of December, it's 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 nice to know that like you're at least appreciated a little bit for for all the work you're putting in. And like we do this for fun, and we would do it no matter what. And it's the same thing with you know me and Rogers, where like I just love talking about movies, and I love you know actually you know doing this for a living. But at the same time, when when somebody else says like, oh hey, you're doing a good job, or like. You know, do you want to come to this function? It, it feels like there is some validation to it, and 100%, it's hundred percent. Yeah, and it's just kind of nice to know that like the work means something. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and yeah, so I went to this Argentinian steakhouse. Okay, I'm not a steak guy, right. but this might have been the best steak I've yeah, ever had. I don't. It, doubt it basically it. cut like butter and melts in your mouth. Ah, and, sounds delicious. And again, like it's all like excess, and like it feels like. It, it's the classic wine and dine kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, they're bribing you. But <laughs> and and rewatching the two popes, I would say that it is the weakest of the Netflix the three releases this year compared to Irishman and especially Marriage Story. Um, I, I think the strongest parts of that film were you in a better headspace this time? I was because yeah. I was actually coherent <laughs> yeah. and 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 completely present watching the film where you know the two popes was one of those movies 
at the end of TIFF where you get that TIFF brain, basically. And, yeah, and your brain's fried, and you don't know if you liked it or disliked yeah, it. Yeah, and what. I wanted to rewatch it anyways, and I was going to. So they 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 took us to a, a, an AFI screening, which was kind of interesting because unlike TIFF, what they do is they bring you into this this the Chinese theater. They bring you in, and they play like a sizzle reel for all the movies that are, that are playing. Like the lights go down, they play the sizzle reel, and then... There's like a big ad for AFI, and then the lights again go back up, and then they bring in um, sort of the the programmer or the moderator to introduce the film, and then yeah. they had Fernando Morales and uh, Anthony McCartan and uh, Jonathan Price and, and uh, Anthony Hopkins all come in and talk about it. So they do a conversation before the movie. They, it was a little bit like it wasn't. It, I mean, it's sometimes like an like at TIFF again when you get like the introduction from the cast and crew sure, and then they yeah. they leave. But it felt a little longer. Okay. Um, and then yeah. So, anyways, watching the movie, I think the strongest aspect are the two performances, and it does feel like this really great chamber piece that you could adapt into a Broadway play with. You know, the two having this conversation about conflicting ideologies and actually sitting down and talking to each other and hearing each other out about, you know, where this institution has been and where it's going and how you're kind of trying to reach people now compared to, you know, when the church was more popular and sort of looking at both men's backgrounds. The thing and and, and, and that's why like Price and Hopkins are great in it because it's, you know, these two amazing welsh actors going back and forth with each other the thing that doesn't work is when you are taken away from that conversation and in the flashbacks to do with with pope francis those scenes kind of take you out of it and then on top of that the thing i noticed a lot more in the second time is how the direction gets in the way sometimes of the actual story so fernando morales is a very kinetic filmmaker and he's always really great at sort of bringing you into a world that you're not familiar with or seeing it in a way you haven't before with the constant gardener with city of God and even blindness to a certain extent. But with this, it feels like he can't help himself, but try to be like, he's, it's almost like he's trying to entertain himself in a weird way. Like I, I need to do something with this shot. I mean, I, I, I like it up that. a little bit. I mean, I liked, I like elements, it if but... it serves a purpose or if it works, but Watching it, I just felt I could see those flourishes and not appreciate the thing that I was already enjoying the most, which, which was the conversation. the conversation and the writing and and the performances. And it's like you don't need to do much. It's it's like again going back to steak. Sometimes you just need to let that let that steak sit. You don't need to do anything more to it. You don't need you, all the fancy accoutrements. No, you don't. <laughs> if it's a good piece of meat. Let it sure, sit. Sure, I get that. You but... know, and that's how I felt with it, w watching it again. And, and again, sometimes nothing... when you jazz it up with little fucking onions or something no, like that. No, like... sometimes you don't need that. You, I know. I disagree. But I mean, I, I like those elements of the movie. I right. thought they added style that was very much needed in a very dry... I mean, I love the conversation, but I, I liked when the movie pulled me out a little bit and gave me those stylistic kind of elements and, and backstory. I mean, I don't think it all works, but I think I'm a little bit more, I mean, it, I don't think you're negative on the movie at all. No, I think I enjoyed just, it a little bit more and I yeah. liked those elements where they seem to kind of pull you out from what you kind of were enjoying about the movie. So. And I've just never really had a, a, a curiosity about religion. Like I'm so far removed from it. And, and, and did even you grow in, up Catholic? I forget. I mean, I was baptized, yeah. but I, no, did we you did you go not, to Catholic school no. or anything? Okay. I did. No, <laughs> I sure did. Yeah. 
don't. No, my 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 parents, my my grandparents on well, my grandmother on my father's side was 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 religious, and so are my my cousins. But yeah. no, we like I was baptized mostly for the sake of them, but we sure. never really. It's yeah, more I mean, agnostic than anything same, else. Like, we celebrate Christmas and things like that. Same here. I mean, for the most part, it was because my grandma was super religious, which yeah. is why we were baptized and why I went to a Catholic school. Like, my grandma was, like, forced her kids to make their children, like, go to Catholic school and stuff because she would be angry if right. we didn't, right? But then as we got older and more removed from it, like, I just stayed in Catholic school because, you know, all my friends were in my elementary school who went to a Catholic high school. So I just stayed in there I mean, I skipped mass all the time and I took religion every year just cause it was easy. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I like two popes. I mean, I hasn't sat with me. Like, I mean, I don't love it. Like, I don't even think it made my top 25 or anything like that. Like I, I enjoyed the movie, but it's I the no... best Tom Hooper movie. Tom Hooper hasn't made. Sure. That's and that's good, the biggest yeah. compliment I can give to it because it does feel a lot like a Tom Hooper movie, even the way that some of the direction is and the compositions of the frame. Yeah, like you that, can tell, yeah. like, you know, with a lot of lead room, either, you know, left or right and, and what have you. But yeah, again, I don't dislike the film. I, I think it's fine for what it is. I just think like compared to what Marriage Story is and Irishman is, it's just it's not I on still that think level. It sticks or High Flying Bird, even which a lot of people again, I wish just kind of talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so you're wearing your your uh, your Toronto uh, Maple Leafs hat. Is 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 there a game tonight or they won last night six nothing? Uh, um, they so fired you're basking the, in the glory. They fired Mike Babcock, the Babadook. Yeah, the Babacock is Aaron. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sounds like the porn parody. Uh, um, yeah, they fired Mike Babcock, so um, they're on a three-game winning streak now. They were on a six-game losing streak, Eric. They fired their coach, Mike Babcock, and um, they're on a three-game winning streak. They won 6 nothing against the Detroit Red Wings last night. I went out with my friend Kevin Luzak to Real Sports Bar and Grill. Very bro-y, um, very not touristy, but like, you know, because it's outside of the the Scotiabank arena. It's just very fucking expensive. Like right. beers are 10, $11. And my, I, I got the cheapest thing on the menu, which was the cheeseburger for like, it was a fucking good cheeseburger though. So I will give them that. I'll give them credit. Cheeseburger, real sports. Very, very good. Um, and then I was drinking, um, uh, the same beers we were having during the 50 or I was having yeah. <laughs> during the 50th. I had a chocolate um, milk. Yeah, 50th episode. Um, other than that, I've just been hanging out. You know, Christmas tree's up now, so yep. uh, decorated the the place, you know, kind of just been chilling. Work's been all right. Um, been watching – I guess we can get into what we've been watching. Uh, been rocking through Disney Plus still. Like, I, I watched uh, Force Awakens and Rogue One. Um, in still, 4K? In 4K, Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, both look like which those two movies are not available on disc in 4K um, uh, at the moment. Last Jedi is. I didn't say Last Jedi. Oh, I said okay. Force Awakens and Rogue One. Right. Sorry. I know Last Jedi is because it's not available on Disney Plus yet. I was just thinking, um, like, what's the the latest one that they released? Because Last Solo, Jedi, yeah. yeah, Solo and Last Jedi are both available in 4K, but Rogue Ooh. One and Force Awakens. The only way to watch them in 4K, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, is on Disney Plus, and they both look very, very nice. Uh, Force Awakens has a nice filmic look because JJ shot it on film, obviously, and. Um, it looks and sounds amazing. I still love that movie. It is a retread of A New Hope 
basically down to every beat. Well, it's a greatest um, hits movie, but I is. think they and needed to do that at, at that point because before that, the prequels had left a really bad taste in people's I, mouths. So it's like yeah. you need to remind people what they loved about Star exactly. Wars. Exactly. It was comforting, right? It, yeah. it was very familiar, but like you said, it's not just A New Hope. I, you, you brought up greatest hits, and I think that's a perfect way of describing it. It does take You've ele- described it that way as well. It, yeah, I know, uh, but it, it does take elements from all three movies in that OG trilogy and kind of crafts this greatest hits movie that is very comforting and and i just i don't know i think it's a beautiful movie it's like making um, a loaf of bread from water i think it yeah that shot is amazing <laughs> yeah, dude. i good. love the shot of her walking and the star destroyer crashed and and the, yeah like with the, with the mask and, and stuff yeah. like that and she's scavenging god for parts. This, when you get introduced to ray it is so cool man like when her theme comes in and she slides down the the sandbank to go kind of back to her speeder and and bb8 is is fucking awesome and just like every character you meet in that movie you do like as much as the movie is kind of a retread of of things that themes and and elements of the movies i I really do think that these characters while taking elements from the original trilogy characters they're still their own people and own characters so like i i mean and i love all of the new cast um i think like uh, kylo ren and, and and adam driver is probably the best villain that they've had in in the franchise and like, and it kind of um, redeems not redeems but it kind of makes anakin work a little bit better because yeah. that rage you know where it's coming from yes and and, and that background and the and angst why, and yeah. like and and as much as it didn't work with hayden christensen in, in the in the prequels it, it kind of like you said it, it kind of works and you see where his his background comes from and and i think like what's cool about these new movies is that it's giving it's shining a new light onto the prequels that while the prequels not great, I just rewatched all of those. Um, there are elements there that I think are interesting and, and elements that we can take from those movies and, and and make better almost by incorporating some of that stuff into this new trilogy. Well, that's and, what even Rogue um, One does. I yeah. mean, you know, with Jimmy Smith's popping up and sort of being and, in yeah. between uh, episode three and episode four. Right? And we're getting more and more of that, right? Like we're getting characters from the prequel trilogy coming back in, in shooting small roles or even the Obi-Wan series that's coming up. Like Ewan McGregor was one of those bright spots in those movies. People did like his Obi-Wan. Right? Well, even the Mandalorian and, feels like the remnants of the original yeah. trilogy, right? Like, it, it, like even though it's not the prequels, but it feels like it's very much, you know, a part of, the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And and Rogue One, um, I really do think that last act is spectacular. Um, and I do think the opening of that movie is pretty great, too. Um, it's a little clunky in the middle. And it had down. a lot of McClunky. Yeah, it is um, a little McClunky in the middle. But, but um, I mean, it's, it's, it's behind-the-scenes story is very interesting. And I think yeah. why the ending works in concept is that... Uh, Tony Gilroy, who came on to do reshoots for for the film, the director of Michael Clayton, Duplicity, uh, one of the original uh, born uh, screenwriters, um, look wasn't a Star Wars guy. Mm-hmm. He was hired on to basically just make it a World War Two movie, yeah. and you can tell that that's. The that last sequence there. is awesome with the dog fighting and everything that's going on on, on and Scarif it's quite and, bold for. Mm-hmm you know, what is being geared towards, you know, a family audience yeah. considering dark the nihilistic aspect of what's yeah. going to happen to these characters. And I even love that you're finally shown that the rebels aren't necessarily like 
as good as we think they are either. Like, right. there's a lot of gray area there. Yes, their cause is is a good cause, but it was like, a lot of gray and force Whitaker's um, hair though too. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one thing I'm not uh, the biggest fan of. And and rewatching it, I will admit, like I really loved it the first time. But it does like like that middle portion yeah. of the film, as you're mentioning, it, it is clunky and and it just doesn't work. And I I do think that they kind of waste. Ben Mendelsohn a little bit, and then it brings. I up like the whole, him, but I, I like him as an actor. I always like seeing him, and I mean, I like his look. But I mean, it's it's all you know, sub uh, style over substance, which is like, oh, this guy's going to be great, and then you know, the stuff with Peter Cushing became kind of yeah. a topic of discussion. Yeah, and it looks strange. I almost the Tarkin wish they just stuff, cast an actor. I know the Tarkin stuff. Like, I mean, the, there was someone doing the motion capture. So yeah. I wonder if that guy looked enough like him he or did. not. He did. He does. So I'm just like, why not just have that guy? Yeah, or, ha- like, or bring in Richard E. Grant for that role because he yeah. kind of looks like Peter Cushing. That's what I mean. And like, I think people would have been fine with that, right? Like, I don't think it's like, I love Peter Cushing, but he's not like, I mean, you could have brought someone in there and it would have been fine. And I totally agree with that. So, um, but I do really love Rogue One because I do like that it's dark and it does show like that weird gray area, like between like the rebels and, and, and the empire and, and, uh, and the ending is awesome. Just leading right into a new hope, I think is really, really cool. So. I would love to see what the original ending was. I mean, I don't think we'll ever watch that, but, or, or get a chance. That Vader to see scene it. too is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the most fan service moment of the movie where it is truly a connection between, or a bridge between Rogue One and, and a new hope. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but like, you can kind of tell that like that was a last minute, addition to the film it definitely was i think um, gary wood has talked about that where he's like i didn't have that vader scene in my script yeah and and, and again like it's kind of cool but at the same time it's like you can tell that that it's it's also coming from the point of view of people that you know th- this wasn't something that tony gilroy put in i don't think either i think this was something that like came from the like you know the lawrence kasdan yeah but i liked it's Captain like Kennedy's. okay we should show Vader being the badass he's always been talked about because, again, it, in, I love the OG trilogy. But right. That, that... But, I, but the thing I love about that, it, it, and this goes back to the original influences that Lucas was sure, yeah. was bringing in, was like, you know, the samurai movie. Yeah. Samurais was are like, still, yeah. you know, when they strike, you know. It's meaningful. It's meaningful it's, and yeah. powerful because they're they're contemplating when they're going to strike and how they're going to strike and those moments are made more deadly because of it. Yeah, it's not Yoda flipping all over the place. Yeah, and, and it's, like it's it's But it's, I did I still do I I don't know. Just we're made to be this guy the, the most evil person in the universe and and it, we haven't really seen Darth Vader do something like that. Like I do like that he's more of a presence in all three of those movies and he like you said the Obi-Wan scene, yes, it is more of that samurai style like it's too Yeah, the Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. And then and the the subtle thing, not subtle, but the things he does throughout aren't totally crazy like in that Rogue One scene. It's just more menacing that his presence throughout the whole thing. So, uh yeah, anyways, I mean, I'm obsessed. I love Star Wars and I'm getting very very excited for Rise of Skywalker um and uh I I started watching The Clone Wars on Disney Plus too, the animated series. Um You're going for a deep dive. Yeah, dude, cuz like there's just so much on there and like there's like 6 seasons of that show and and um I 6 found, seasons in a movie? I it's I think there is 6. Yeah, I 6 think, seasons in a movie. <laughs> I think so. And they're doing another new season on Disney Plus as well and um 
it's great. Like it really fleshes out Anakin and Obi-Wan's story and it kind of gives you some side stories into um, the Jedi Council and, and um, the bounty hunters in the universe and it kind of fleshes out the prequel universe like as the Clone Wars are going on and I think that's actually like it's way better than Attack of the Clones. Like it takes, right. it's in that spot in between Attack of the Clones and, and Revenge of the Sith, I believe, or I, I, it takes place probably over a... Uh, a larger amount of time but i even like ahsoka who is um um anakin's padawan and um there's just some really really cool stuff in there and i know Isn't that grievous in it um, at some yeah, point grievous well? story is fleshed out and he's so much better in this he than was they terrible used. dude in but in this Revenge they flesh the him out and it's kind of cool like yeah they they give depth and, and background to a lot of these characters that were just throwaways in these in the prequel movies and like um in uh in one of the first episodes, you go visit um, uh, uh, um, Watto's planet. <laughs> you see a bunch of Watto's. Uh, what are they called? Toydarians or whatever. Um, and, so you were in heaven at that point. Oh, God, it's great. So I don't know. I'm really, really enjoying Clone They all Wars. collectively say, I'm, <laughs> they don't all talk like that, I wish. Um, I, I'm only watching like certain arcs that people told me are really good because like, I, I don't know if I'm can watch every single episode because a lot of people say like some of it's filler so you're going through the highlights i'm going through the the greatest yeah Yeah. and then i want to watch rebels which i've heard is very good as well and um and i think resistance is the newest series that has like poe dameron and stuff too which i i I don't know much about but um and all this is on disney Disney plus Plus, yeah so i've been just watching a shit ton on disney plus man i also watched uh, i'll go through my stuff and i'll let you go after but i only have one more thing um Two more things. Um, the Santa Claus with Tim Allen <laughs> in 4K, baby. Um, I don't know. It's very nostalgic for me. Right. Like, uh, now, how racist is Tim Allen in not this? Not very. Um, there's a lot of fat shaming and some stuff that doesn't quite work. But like, I always remember um, being freaked out a little bit by the concept of like someone basically kills santa claus yeah. and then assumes the role but then it's yeah. like wouldn't you be freaked out if like somebody tried to kill you or killed you by accident and then like that person takes over it's like it feels like a job that just is like yeah. you know passed down from accident to accident it's bizarre but um there's some weird creepy jokes with like the elves like there's that one girl elf and she's like oh i'm 1200 years old but then there's like this weird flirty thing with her and and tim allen and she's like the actress is like 10 years old, oh. but she's like playing 1200 because right. she's an elf. So it's like it's a gray zone. There. It's kind of, it's gross. So yeah. like, she's just like, he's like, you look really good for your age. And like, it comes across as like, I know it's supposed to be like, you look young for your age. Not right. like you look good. But the actor is actually like, 12. And then she like, goes, Oh, uh, sorry. I'm already dating someone and rapping. And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> right. like, I don't like this. Well, there um, was a joke about that so even funny, on, but... uh, that you sent me actually from that Disney, uh, account with, with Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Dude, she's 12. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. They um, actually did that also on, um, uh, the recent episode of SNL with uh, Will Ferrell. Oh, did they? Yeah. I haven't watched it. Um, and then Watchmen I've, I've been keeping up with week to week, and I think it is incredible. Uh, Damon Lindelof, I love you, man. Uh, I got to go back and watch I gotta wa- I got to sit down and watch Dude, this. I'm going to try during the holidays. I think you'll – if you – you liked Leftovers. I did. I and, liked Leftovers. Um, I liked Lost. Yeah. I liked so, Prometheus. Yeah. I, I think you're going to love this because, like, I – 
every week I'm like, holy fuck, that was a good hour of television. Like it's dense and it, it, it doesn't treat its audience like idiots. Like it, it, it's storytelling I think is immaculate in the way that like I feel bad because I was over explaining things to Nevis of like, oh, you didn't read the comic or watched the movie, which it's, it's a sequel to the comic or the comic series or the graphic novel, not the Zack Snyder movie. Right. Um, even though the Zack Snyder movie is almost the exact same except for the end. Well, somebody posted online, like, the, you know, the squids involved. This, so. Yes. The, so the ending of the the book is a giant squid attack. The ending of the movie, it's a nuclear kind of event, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Because um, Dr. Manhattan is the one that's kind of framed for yeah. having brought, in the graphic novel, this giant squid-like so creature that's to the destroy. canon of this movie and yeah. i think it's fascinating because i was explaining things in tenevis but the show does a really good job of kind of like uh, feeding you the information as you need it but it does its own thing and it feels very topical and the universe feels so fleshed out and each episode feels like it's starting to get into that lost and what i heard about uh leftovers is like that character driven like Oh, this is the the episode about this person, right? And, right. But it's so they're still focusing on character driven, you know, episodes. Uh, episodes like, yeah. You're like, oh, the, the it, character specific episodes, but then still building out the overall story, which I think is really awesome. And like, uh, the last couple weeks have just been like each episode. I'm like, how can it get better than this? And then the next week, I'm like, holy fuck, that was incredible. Yeah. And then I keep and, hearing as well that like people like you know. Um, Tim Blake Nelson is amazing. Is unbelievable, dude. Yeah. They did his character-centric episode last week, not this week. And I'm like, that, that dude, I mean, he was great up until that moment. But having a whole episode focused on his character, Looking Glass, who has this, like, cool mirrored uh, mask, but they actually explain why he has that. And it's just, like, it's such a uh, a wonderfully adult drama that is smart and and doesn't spoon feed you exposition and like lets you figure things out on your own and gives you so much fucking information. But if you can kind of like, if you obsess over some things like I do, like when he did lost and, and again, I really should go watch the leftovers. You should, you would like it. There are certain episodes, second or third. And people said like the last couple episodes of Watchmen, they're like, this is, this is leftovers. Okay, I will. I, like, I will watch it. Um, I want to watch it, mm-hmm. and it, we should maybe do almost like a once season one wrap yeah, up or something. I, I would love that, dude. Um, because I'm even listening to the podcast. So again, for anyone watching, Watchmen, oh, there's a podcast, too. dude. Yeah, Lindelof and um, who's the guy who wrote uh, Chernobyl? Scott. Uh, oh, Craig Mason. Craig Mason. So Mason? Craig yeah, Mason yeah. hosts it, and Lindelof's on it. And why I love it is because. Uh, um, Alex Reno might appreciate this because he's a big Lost fan too and I don't know if Alex if you listened uh, to the Lost podcast but Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof one of the first podcasts I ever got into was the Lost podcast with Lindelof and Cuse and they would after every episode do an episode on the podcast explaining like the the writing process and and their thought process and and giving you clues and and things so they're doing it in batches of same with the um soundtracks coming out in like batches of three episodes i think three or four episodes so um the first two episodes of the podcast are out and i've only listened to the first one um but it's it it's it's kind of awesome with uh Mason interviewing Lindelof and him explaining like 
how he got involved with the project, his writing process, who he talked to, who's on the writing team, how they came up with things, um, kind of alluding to certain things. And it's fucking awesome. And uh, it reminds me of how obsessed I was. I'm not as obsessed as during my Lost days where I would like go on Lostopedia the day after the episode and fucking read every single thing about it and try to But television has changed but, since then quite a yeah, bit, right? But I mean he's still doing a lot of his same he's doing a lot of the same things but it, he's But matu- it works here. But he's matured <laughs> Fuck you. But no, um, but but I yeah, mean that I in, but it, but like sometimes like I can understand yeah. people criticizing like, you know, you can get a little bit too caught up in the world building where yeah. like it can get away from I was going to say like he he's matured obviously right. since lost and I think he's learned from every project he's been on and I really do think that he gets a bad rap and I think I he is one of the best showrunners and best creators right now. Now and as you have indigestion. And he's been driven out of you know, and it's probably a good thing because Ryan Johnson talked about this recently too, of being like, you know, when you become hated on the internet for something, right? He's like, you start to kind of realize how silly it all is, and like, people on social media just want to be mean sometimes for no real reason, right? Or like, you know, like deflect like, their own inadequacies yeah. and and insecurities. So, and Ryan Johnson did an interesting thing recently. He's like. It's it's not that I even have a thicker skin anymore. It's just I know that like okay, this comes with it, and like who the fuck cares what they think? Like, just do you and and keep right. making stuff and like. And I think once you shut off the internet or shut off social media, you realize that like, you it's not the real world, right? Yeah. Like, ultimately a, nobody cares. A vocal minority <laughs> yeah. too, right? Like it's the loudest people are the negative ones, and like. I even know working in social media for the last five plus years is like, and I mean, we're all guilty of this is like, you really only, how often do you go write a positive review for something that you really enjoyed, whether it's a restaurant or something like that. Right. Or, I mean, there are times where if you appreciate a service or appreciate what someone's doing, you will tell them how much you appreciate it. But like when you're angry about something, that's when you call in and complain. That's when you write an email. That's when you tweet something. And like, so I just feel like this negative shit rises to the top, which I think Lindelof was at the beginning of because Lost was at that time when I mean it was still in the 2000s so the internet wasn't like new the no but 2000s, the way that, but like, that like television is kind of like where we are now with streaming services yeah. and tell like with Netflix sort of releasing whole seasons in in one day that can be binged like like Lost could have done that or or if Lost was made now it would be on an HBO and be you know eight episodes in total right yeah. and, and instead it would, of twenty four yeah and, and like, I think that's the thing that hurt it because we've made yeah. jokes about it before where like Lost, you know the, the, the tattoo, tattoo episode, episode yeah. is like why do we need this this is purely filler because we have you know twenty four to 26 episodes per season yeah, where i feel nothing on watchmen feels like filter yeah or, uh filler sorry yeah they cut um, the fat they really do and like it, it it's dense and it's fucking awesome dude so like and I'm, i feel someone like lindelof like again like i haven't watched the show yet but like i the last time i i heard him talk on a podcast was on was i think it was entertainment weekly and it was just as twin peaks the return was launching and yeah. he talked about like having watched those i mean obviously twin peaks was such a huge influence on lost but he talked about watching those first couple of episodes of the return and saying well now i've got to really up my game mm-hmm. you know and it, and it feels like 
anybody that's kind of making shows that are set in a world or you know surrealist kind of entertainment have to kind of look at what's been made but then also kind of build on that or try to compete against it and i think that's healthy competition in the best possible way as uh matt is fixing his mic because it's um a little loose it is yes let it loose as uh as the rolling stones would say um yeah i totally agree dude and um i don't know i just Watchmen and blew me away. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I. I right. don't know why I doubted well, it. Well, I mean, especially because of the Zack Snyder version, which I mean, if you're gonna, I actually watch, like the Zack. I Snyder don't version. mind it. I, I I think the best cut of that film is the director's cut, not the one with the black freighter stuff. Unfortunately, the only version on 4K is the one with the black freighter, and that stuff is 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 the worst, just because it feels like you could just cut the Black Freighter stuff, and it, it's not important to the story. But I appreciate the ambition of what Snyder was doing with that movie, even though, like, going into that film, there was no way that he was going to appease everybody and and make the movie that, you know, Alan Moore had created in the graphic novel. You know, yeah. like, that graphic novel is considered sacred, even though Alan Moore himself nowadays has there there's some issues with him as sure. as, a, as a person as a, as a as a writer and he says some really kind of uh, questionable things but but at the time like i remember like any comic book fan or sort of uh, graphic novel fan would always you know cite the watchman as being one of the best even just stories. pieces of literature yeah, yeah. right like cuz i remember i was assigned watchman not even in a graphic novels course but i think it was just a like one of my english classes like when you would be studying you know shakespeare or another piece of literature they assigned you watchman and and lindelof goes into that and he talks about like he's like hey i didn't want to do this unless like we basically met and been like, what did, what made the the original comic so special? And like, we kind of have to capture that, but from a 2019 lens, right? Like right. It had a lot of commentary on the times of the, of the eighties. Yeah. Well, like it was all too. about the cold war, right? Yeah. Like the doomsday clock is ticking and you know, the nuclear bomb could go off at any time. I mean, even, you know, in music, you know, people like Prince sang about that in, you know, right. 1999. And like, this is about racism in the United States, yeah. right? Or at least that's what it, it, it looks like. And it, it's kind of, it's very topical and it is doing a lot of similar things that the original comic does. And, 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 um, yeah, dude, you got to watch it. It, it yeah, is great. I and I can't wait to talk to you about it once you do. Um, I think that's it from what I watched this week. Anything on your Yeah, end? so I'll start off with uh, – I've also kind of been going through Disney+, Plus, but just kind of you know, in between um, writing and watching movies that I need to for awards consideration, um, I, I went back actually and started going through episodes of The Simpsons, specifically oh, nice, yeah. the Treehouse of Horror episodes. Um, I was curious for one reason because, I mean, part of it was nostalgia and I wanted to see, like, what episodes I, I remembered and also how long I watched the show or, like, you know, what season I sort of stopped watching at. Like, I was just curious in that regard. So, I, I um, of the Treehouse of Horror episodes, they're, they're perfect kind of um, check marks and sort of yeah. going through them. And, and, and so... When I got to uh, the season 11 Treehouse of Horror, that's where I started to n not recognize 
the episodes anymore or was unfamiliar with you know the content like it was like okay up until then it's like oh yeah i remember watching this or you know um watching this on repeat even like like certain episodes treehouse of horror wise at least with um homer simpson going into that alternate dimension yeah homer three yeah where he becomes almost like a cgi version of himself yeah i remember that was the one that you know like uh cable and syndication always seemed to play the most out of those but then i had also forgotten like that James Earl Jones in the first Treehouse of Horrors episode was a voice in all three, and he does the voiceover narration for the reading of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, which I think a lot of people RH, that was probably the first time you were exposed to for sure. Edgar Allan Poe's stuff. So, I mean, obviously the pop culture and 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 culture in general is has always been infused, but, like, it's just interesting looking at that show and saying, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Brad Bird worked on that for for years and then you know like conan o'brien was a writer on that show and just you know looking at like how you know that show in a lot of ways is very much uh, a part of of history now like it's it's gone through so many decades and so many you know variations in animation style and sort of again what's going on in the world and around the world and you know seeing whether it you know certain actors popping up or, or what have you and you know where they are now or if they're even still you know on this earth like it's it's interesting looking at that stuff and then i mean obviously there's controversy with um two specific things with with the formatting of the show being in uh full frame or full screen so compared it's cropped, to the, yeah, yeah to the original uh four by three uh television ratio and then there's also the conversation of the one episode with michael jackson being yeah. pulled from the only episode the lineup. That they pulled, yeah right yeah which is which is weird because there are there's a, in one of the treehouse of horrors episodes there's one where bart conjures uh, the undead back to life and he's wearing the thriller album as a hat yeah and then also like again like they weren't they didn't know that they were going to become a part of disney but the all first, the disney jokes are in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and like the first episode i remember watching um which is very it's it's very crude in terms of its animation style um was the general episode the one where bart um sort of stands up against Nelson. Um, and there's a scene at the end of the episode where it's almost like this like jokey PSA where like, you know, there are no good wars other than this war, this war and star Wars, <laughs> you know, things like that. And it's just kind yeah. of interesting again. And, and I know people have pointed this out with like, you know, the, the Simpsons predicting that Trump would be the president and things like that. But it, it's just, yeah, it, it is interesting going back and looking at all that and seeing how it kind of plays with the humor of it. And, and, and I hope that, like, you know, now that that it's it's run its course, I don't know who's watching it now, really, other than like, I heard maybe younger that, kids. Yeah, I don't know. I heard from some people who's uh, – my friends Kevin and Ree love The Simpsons and have been obsessed with it. And I think they still continue to watch it. And I've heard from a few people saying that they're – I think I watched it a little bit later than you, than season 11. Um, I'd be curious to see when I stop, too. I might do the same exercise. Um but Treehouse of Horror was the one episode where even after I stopped watching it, I'd be like, you know what? I'll pop on Treehouse of Horror every year or something like that until a certain time. Um, I heard – I think there was a big gap where I think a lot of us fell out of The Simpsons where it started to not be very good. And well, because then, then you had competing cartoons as yeah, well like Family, Family Guy, Guy and yeah. South Park specifically. And so there's that big gap and then I heard the – 
Mike Muntz is a huge Simpsons fan too. Um, Mike Muntz is our friend who collects Blu-rays and and uh, actually kind of got me into into movies. But um, I heard recently like it's gotten better again. Like, but I don't th- I don't think it'll ever get back to obviously what it once was. But I've heard that the recent seasons have been funny. So I'd be almost curious to jump into some of the super recent ones too, to see what their commentary is. Like I haven't watched the Simpsons in maybe, uh, I don't know, 15 years. Right. And that's how I felt until with watching the Disney plus stuff. Like I hadn't really sat down and watched an episode of the Simpsons in, in forever. So it was kind of interesting going back, you know, strolling down memory lane and, and kind of going through that stuff. And like, where like something like, with Seinfeld, like I'll always pop, you know, an episode on, or like if if somebody I know was watching, like recently I watched an episode with or something like with that. with yeah. Kyle the Bizarro Jerry episode, which is is quite funny. And then you realize, like watching that show, it's fascinating that like there are so many iconic moments and and sight gags in like one episode that it, it it's amazing that they're able to kind of cram all that in there with the Simpsons, like. It, the kind of the structure of that show usually is like one thing kind of leads like one kind of cold opening or 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 subplot actually leads into the actual main story uh that's that's supposed to be the center and i think that that's kind of interesting and that's how they've always kind of played it or at least the seasons that i've seen i don't know if they've changed that um, as they've progressed over the years but i remember it, the who shot mr burns thing that was a huge. big one and then I would say maybe the last Simpsons thing I watched was the Simpsons movie, which they kind of repeated that storyline a little bit with Burns trying to take over Springfield because, right. like, the reason why he gets shot in that episode is because he, he has block out the sun, yeah, the block out the sun, and then somebody shoots him, and it becomes, and that's where they also reference that was Twin the, Peaks, and right? The, yeah, and the first cliffhanger I remember, like, on like probably first cliffhanger I remember yep. from television in general, like as a kid, like maybe some other shows I watched had cliffhangers like kid cliffhangers but i just remember that being such a gigantic thing because the simpsons was very episodic and it would have some some things kind of have a through line but not or characters returning right like it it, it expanded on that's the other thing that i think the simpsons is kind of best known for is that there's so many characters and yet like they were able to kind of really not maybe sketch out their their entire uh, you know in, internal life or their interior life, but at least kind of give you a sense that they were always around, and at least give them a little bit of time if the episode or the story permitted it. And and also, I mean, obviously, the controversy now with Apu is another thing that's been looked at oh, and reexamined, yeah. and and I think it needs to. And I mean, even Hank Azaria is like, you know what? Like, I totally get why this is important to have a conversation about, and you know, like it wasn't great then, but at least you know, like things are now changing and we're looking at we it We understand now. it and we're not going to kill the character off, but we're going to use him. Yeah. We'll kill Maud off though, but not, yeah, but sure. not, uh, Oh yeah. That was weird. Remember that, that was, too? I remember that was the, epi- like they, cause they, she was one of the first voice actors that left. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I remember that was kind of like a big promo. It's like somebody on the Simpsons is going, going to, to die. die. Um, yeah, like, man, you're bringing, bringing me back. I might pop on some Simpsons later too. Uh, what else? You Lisa saw... needs braces. Yeah. Dental plan. Got a stupid sexy Flanders. <laughs> uh, that's what I remember. Hey, homie, like I can see you doing it all. <laughs> nothing at all. It's so many great quotes from The Simpsons. What a fucking show. Um, you've watched uh, a bunch more. I was saying Boo Burns. 
some uh, theatrical stuff. Yes. You so, okay. I won't spend too much time on uh, Dark Waters, but I will say this. Um, a couple... Should I even bother or no? I'll lend you a screener. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so, a couple of years ago, I must have signed a petition for Amnesty International because they called me saying, like, it was basically they wanted me to donate money. Sure. Yeah. And and this was only last night. And I ended up talking to this person 25 minutes reviewing Dark Waters because we were talking about uh, global warming and climate change and, and, you know, how big businesses and corporations are polluting the environment. And I said, oh, recently I watched... Uh, you know, Todd Haynes' Dark Waters, have, have you heard about it? And she said, no. And I said, well, do you know at least, like, you know, what's going on with DuPont Chemicals and sort of what they've done to both the environment and the safety of humanity? <laughs> you would randomly start talking right, about right. And a Todd Haynes movie with this fucking person who just and wants And she started, like, writing all this stuff down. <laughs> and she's like, okay, so when's this coming out? And, like, like, is there more about this? And I was like, yeah, like, you know, it's... It, it talks about like how Teflon related products are, are basically poisonous and um, are have integrated into um, our own chemical um, figure. Like, like it's a part of us. Like there's probably like 10% of this chemical compound already in us. That's not good for us. And that causes things like cancer and mm -hmm. um, other horrible diseases and, sure. and things like that. The movie though, um, is your standard legal thriller with Mark Ruffalo playing this kind of understated corporate lawyer who at first is working for companies like DuPont and then this farmer comes in um, from West Virginia – and his hometown in West Virginia, who his grandmother suggested, you know, go go see my grandson. He's this big shot lawyer in Cincinnati now um, and saying, OK, well, this, you know, landfill owned by DuPont is poisoning the livestock. The, the uh, farmers played by Bill Camp, who has these like giant Groucho Marx eyebrows on. And he talks like this. Sick. And it's real bad. And it's especially disheartening because I love Bill Camp. Yeah. And he's terrible. Yeah. Um, and then watching the movie, like, I agree with everything that it stands for and sort of like, you know, how like big business is screwing us over both, sure. you know, physically and, you know, financially. And like even now DuPont is still a billion dollar corporation, but it plays within the lines of any kind of courtroom drama, you know, it goes through the years and it has like that timeline that comes up every time, you know, a year changes um, from the late nineties. It starts off in 98 and goes into more recently, 2016, 2015, 2016. And I was thinking, okay, well at least someone like Todd Haynes, who's a work for hire here. A lot of people said it's kind of like, you know, his Aaron Brockovich, him trying to make something that's a little bit more accessible. accessible. And and I talked about this with the two popes where he also brought on his cinematographer, uh, Edward Latchman, who's done a lot of his stuff like Carol and Wonderstruck, uh, his last two movies, which are, you know, great Gorgeous, films. Yeah. But you can kind of tell that with Dark Waters, like it almost felt like, well, after Wonderstruck bombed, it's like I need to do something that's like, you know, conventional and bit of a crowd pleaser. So I'll do this movie and – you know, it's a good message film, and but at the same time, I'll try to add my style into it. It 
doesn't really work. And there's stuff in the film that is kind of like almost parody. Mm-hmm. So like Anne Hathaway plays Ruffalo's wife and she also used to be a lawyer and she has this scene where you know she confronts Tim Robbins who plays uh the co-managing um uh lawyer of the firm that he works at and and she's like you know I'm not Anne Hathaway's like I'm not just the wife and has this speech about not being the wife but the screenplay and the filmmaking she's treats just her just wife. like the wife and yeah. it's like why is Anne Hathaway in this movie other than maybe wanting to work with Todd Haynes and Mark Ruffalo and doing this as a favor because the, that role is is disposable and literally the yeah. spouse role and then it's the same thing with Tim Robbins who has this like kind of ridiculous almost laughable moment where like he has like a turn where like he's the head of this this firm that's defending these companies and then all a of a sudden it's, turn yeah and then he's like you know what we should be nailing these guys to the wall you know yeah, fuck classic. we can't let them get away with yeah this. and yeah well, well and and that's the like yeah. ruffalo like you could take scenes from spotlight yeah. and put them into this movie and just with maybe the exception of his hair and and his he's a little heavier set because the character's a little heavier set you wouldn't really notice it, but he literally has lines where it's like, they knew and they did nothing about (laughs) it. And it's just like, it's such a shame. Like, it's not a bad movie, but it's just like, okay, fine. Yeah. And it was just a shame seeing, you know, someone like Todd Haynes, who is a great filmmaker having to kind of do this, which is, you know, he's above this in terms of just like, they could, they could have brought in somebody. (sighs) I don't want to say Ron Howard because I think like they, like if they brought in Soderbergh to do this, I think Soderbergh could have made this basically Aaron Brockovich too, which is what they kind of want it to be. But Soderbergh did it in a way that kind of complemented the story, and I think Aaron Brockovich is a better film than Dark Waters. Fair. Um, so yeah, I there's me ranting about Dark Waters. It's not a bad movie, just disappointing considering the people involved and the story being one that I agree with and believe in and 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 what have you um let's hold your queen and slim thoughts because i do want to see it so maybe you want to maybe do a review yeah or? maybe okay um, i, I, I will say like um the first act or the setup of the film yeah of these two characters sitting at a diner and having a conversation is explosive okay, like cool. it reminded me of pulp fiction the diner scene in pulp fiction like or, or like in 90s 90s indie dramas cool where like it's edgy it's raw you can feel the voice of the writer lena Huaith and and like it's there and then as soon as it becomes this journey this 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 odyssey through the south it loses its way and it weirdly does become episodic where there are chunks of it that are very visually stylish but it doesn't work as a cohesive narrative and Melina Matsukis, who's the director, this is her first feature film. She's done, you know, TV from, you know, stuff like Masters, uh, uh, Master of None, Master of None, and then also like she's best known for the Beyonce Formation music video. Mm-hmm. Um, has a lot of style, and it's interesting, but it doesn't help the story that's being told. And there's one sequence, and we'll maybe talk about this when you see it. Um, that really kind of like throws you off and feels like a little too much. Okay, and yeah. it's very and, and and then it does become kind of surface level and sort of looking at like you know um, black history, sort of grappling with the South, and then also on top of that, how 
uh, in the digital age and in internet culture, we create these new forms of outlaws. And a lot of the campaign and marketing behind the film has been saying that it's, you know, basically Black, Bonnie, and Clyde. But the characters aren't... They're they're not murderers or they're not yeah. bank robbers. Like they have no interest in hurting anybody. They just want to be free. Yeah, yeah. Like they 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 don't get any joy or pleasure from. It's not natural born killers. No, exactly. Yeah. And that's another thing I said in my review where okay. it's like they're not Mickey and Mallory. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then you finally saw Charlie's Angels. I did. And and to be quick, I mean, I think I agree mostly with what you said. I didn't maybe like it as much, but what I appreciated the most in that movie. Weirdly, and I guess you could also say that it's the main criticism, is that it is very McClunky um, in sort of how it's put together. But I appreciated that because it felt like it came from a real person and not like an assembly line, um, you know, franchise entry, which it still is in just terms of like it being an IP and based on, you know, a, a popular 70s show and maybe that being the reason why people aren't interested in in something from the 1970s that isn't kind of relevant now and they try to inject you know current subtext that kind of is interesting but maybe doesn't work because the show itself almost was weirdly playing into sort of male culture because fair like like the big thing with charlie's angels is that it made Farrah Fawcett a household name. And, like, the thing that, like, I always remember as a kid, it's like, you know, your dad or your your grandfather would have that that image or that poster of Farrah Fawcett in, in one of those calendars. Like, that was, like, the big thing. Where Elizabeth Banks is trying to reclaim, you know, the genre as, you know, a female-driven, independent franchise. And I really dig that. And, again, like, I like that the movie doesn't always work and is kind of rough around the edges where like you think of something like I don't know why this is popping into my head but like uh Len Wiseman's Total Recall where that movie is just void of personality it's and so life slick and yeah like... and it's like well what's the point of making this when you already you know when Paul Verhoeven and, and to some extent when David Cronenberg was working on the project before added everything that it needed to be and it brought life to it where you know with with Charlie's Angels, like it feels like Elizabeth Banks is trying to make something and do something. Yeah, I agree here. completely, and I, I again, I didn't love the movie, but I, I kind of had a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, and and I like that. I mean, again, like there's not like one great sort of action set piece, but I kind of dug uh, the bowl cut sequence and sort of how it plays almost like in a Jacques Tati kind of way where like you're seeing these characters infiltrate um, a facility and how they're kind of playing around with like almost like a where's Waldo situation. Yeah. I, I no, I think there, that is probably the best sequence in the movie, but I, I liked Kristen Stewart a lot. And um, yeah, you know, I, it, again, a perfectly serviceable movie where I, I think she injected enough of her herself and her personality and her vision into it. And it, it's kind of a shame that it just kind of disappeared, but I hope it finds a life maybe on airplanes or on. Yeah, and I mean, like you, we were talking about this after yeah. I saw it. You said, I mean, it's a plane movie. It is a perfect plane movie. Yeah. If you have a flight coming up, Charlie's Angels is a good watch. Yeah, so, and and it's um, interesting. I mean, we'll talk about Elizabeth Banks in 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 our new segment as well. Um, but I I really do like her a lot, and and I kind of actually really like what she said. It's like you know. It's, it, at least I have my name on it four times that it's, you know, it's a failure. So it is, mm-hmm. it is hers. Like, I feel like this is. Because what? She produced, directed, produced, acted. Yeah. And, and she, she produced with her husband, but like 
she directed it she wrote it she yeah. co-stars in it yeah you know like this is that's her, it's her movie mm-hmm. like, you know like i mean i like kristen stewart i like naomi scott a lot as well i, I like even, the newer girl too yeah um, uh ella uh baskin or yeah baskin? i forget her name um but... and then like even like Patrick Stewart's having a lot of fun. And then, yeah. like, the thing I didn't notice in uh, The Nightingale that I did in this with Sam Kaplan is he has the same facial structure as Michael Fassbender. Like, he okay. has even, like, the same ears. They could play brothers or yeah. something. Um, I could see that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Charlie's Angel's not that bad. Yeah, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, you want to move on? Because we're already we're <laughs> in. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're an hour in. Uh, let's fly through staying at home. I have some digital picks for you guys. Um, I haven't seen this, but hey, it's $10. Dora in the Lost City of Gold, if you were too afraid to go see it in theaters. Now, for $10 on digital in 4K. Which is another um, movie I'm going to try to catch up with before the yeah, end of the year. $10 on digital. I might actually as well. Because it seemed like it was in that weird space of like... This could be sort of fun because again, it was it's a late Bre- August release. and it's Brett McKenzie, right? Who I actually really like. Was it, isn't and, it James Bobin? Oh, maybe it's James Bobin. I thought it was yeah, one of them, but one of the Flight of the Concord. Yeah, I think it's right? Bobin. He directed yeah, James it. James yeah. Bobin. Okay, I thought it was. Anyways, but it doesn't matter. One did, of them. Did Brett McKenzie do the music? Ah, uh, who knows? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll look this up as you're talking. Um, but I think it could have been one of those funny meta pseudo kids movies, but then has some stuff for adults in there, but. Who knows? It has pretty good reviews, I think. So, you know what? I might catch up with it as well. Um, Jingle it All the... It is James Bobin. Okay, it's Bobin. My bad. It's Bobin, baby. Um, th- uh, three Christmas movies, all very cheap. Jingle All the Way, Home Alone, and Die Hard. Um, all in 4K. Um, Home Alone and Jingle All the... No, Home Alone is available on Disney+, Plus, but not in 4K. Right. Um, well, all three of them are the first three, right? So home yeah. one, two, and three, and none of weirdly them are in 4K. not in 4K because it is available in 4K on iTunes. Um, Jingle All the Way, weirdly not on Disney Plus, but it is a 20th Century Fox movie, right? And you know um, who's in uh, Home Alone three? Uh, French Stewart. No, is he in four? Yeah, probably. Malcolm no. McDowell's in one of them as well. I think he's in like five. No, I was going to say Scarlett Johansson. She's in the third one. Yeah, it's one okay. of her first movies. Because doesn't French Stewart play Harry in one of them? Like they recast. Uh, yeah, but that but that's the the third one brings in like a group of like international like thieves, and one of them's played by the guy from Twin Peaks who never leaves his his house, and Laura okay. would always visit him with yeah. the food. Yeah, and there's like a joke where like you hit me in the winky, and it's just like it's weird. <laughs> So, those are my digital picks. Uh, your Blu-ray picks. Yes. So, um, a, quickly, a couple from uh, Scream Factory. Um, Prophecy, which is a creature feature directed by John Frankenheimer, who would later go on to direct the uh, uh, horribly uh, assembled The Island of Dr. Monroe, which there's a great uh, documentary called Lost Souls uh, about Richard Stanley and him kind of falling out with uh, New Line on that. But John Frankenheimer directed this really – this is like a post-Jaws movie where, like, you can tell, like, at the time, like, when Jaws became this, you know, the first quote-unquote blockbuster that all these studios were trying to make these giant monster films. And then Fox did, you know, when animals attacks <laughs> later sure. on. So for, for Prophecy, it stars Talia Shire and Armando Asante and um, – 
uh, Richard Foxworth, and the, it's shot in Vancouver, and they're basically tormented by a giant mutant bear, which is only in the movie for about, like, five minutes because they couldn't afford to really put it together. But those five minutes... Dynamite. <laughs> Dynamite. Uh, it's 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 kind of a goofy, boring, you know, late 70s horror film. But if you like the creature feature genre, I would definitely say at least maybe give it a shot or, or you know, try to stream it. It's kind of fun for what it is. But at the same time, like, don't expect, you know, to be given what's on the poster. And I always remember the poster was something that I kind of got that and kindred uh confused with or the kindred and uh even a little bit with the in, the unborn movies uh so yeah so i i would recommend that uh what's the other one that i have on there you have a couple here you have robocop oh yeah so so arrow uh video released a new edition of robocop two discs chocked full of special features um they also have Is the x-rated version or no i wish um the poly v version um so they have the it's a 4k uh restoration from the original 35 millimeter print from mgm and both the theatrical and director's cuts are available there's a lot of stuff that they took from the original blu-rays and dvds feature wise that are on this version you know the paul verhoeven audio commentary there's also some new special features but if you like honestly like robocop is one of those movies like i just love unabashedly and i feel like it actually was truly ahead of its time and sort of looking at the satire of global marketing and like yeah like even now with like you know like twitter kind of making fun of, of certain things like robocop was doing that you know in 1987 yeah i would love to rewatch robocop oh yeah. it, it it but is the director's cut the x-rated version or no i think it is uh, maybe it? i mean yeah. it's more it's gorier but i mean i wouldn't say that it's like I remember it, that was maybe just a marketing thing right. as well. Because like, the theatrical cut's pretty grotesque at yeah. times. Like the the scene that everybody talks about is one of the henchmen uh, Getting, gets yeah gets dumped in in uh, toxic waste. Oh right, yeah. and um, and Ray Wise is also one of the the other henchmen as well. Uh, Laura Palmer's father. Oh, there's yeah. all these Twin Peaks connections on this episode. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, then you also have Dracula and Amazing Grace. Oh yes, so Dracula from 1979, starring Franklin Jella, and this was a time when Universal was trying to reboot um, their Universal horror movies again. And it had been a while since there was a Dracula movie, if you can believe that, uh, back in, in 1979. And it's not a great film, but it's kind of fun. And especially when you look at it as a late 1970s movie, like the style and the filmmaking are all very much 70s-esque. And John uh, Badham, who's the director, has had such a weird career. Like he also directed the Short Circuit movies. And, okay. Yeah. But Franklin Jella as Dracula. we watched both of those in one day at my We house? sure did. Uh, Franklin Jella is kind of fun as the titular Dracula. Uh, Lawrence Olivier is Van Helsing. Donald Pleasance is in there. It's kind of a goofy, fun, late 70s horror flick. And if you can get through it without laughing, you know, like and actually appreciate it for what it is, it's it's not bad. It's it's enjoyable. Uh, and then Amazing Grace. So Neon released uh, the Aretha Franklin concert documentary um, earlier this year theatrically and then yeah. in the summer released it only on DVD. Now they've released it on Blu-ray because it's done so well um, on the DVD side of things selling wise and also because it's it's done well awards wise. So this is one of my favorite films of the year. 
I would recommend anybody that loves concert docs or movies that are about a certain time period and a moment in an artist's career where they're at their peak. Check this one out. It's amazing. Cool. Uh, moving on to talking trailers. Uh, we got a bunch this week. We don't have to spend too, too much time on stuff. Um, sticking with Star Wars because we had a good conversation um, earlier in the show. Uh, did you get to watch that Rise of Skywalker kind of throughout Star Wars history trailer that they put out? No. Oh, it was kind of cool. It, it got me choked up, actually. Which it, it, I watched the Daisy um, Ridley uh, uh, rap. I did not watch that. Uh, Sometimes like some of those things are cringy to she's me. She's good like, though. I liked okay? her. Like, she, like I always I agree worry with you, but yeah. like that's the only, like I've been trying so hard to avoid it's as same. much as possible. Yeah. Like the only thing I've watched is the TV spot with the new duel of the yeah, fates that I you want to sent talk me, about and that, that was the too, only yeah. the only reason why I watch it is because you're an asshole and sent it to me. No, just kidding. Um, I actually really enjoyed uh, watching it, but but I've just been. More, I'm not usually bothered by spoilers. Like Same. It, you know, it's the journey. It, it's it's how it's presented. But with this, I feel like this could be really important to really go in as as fresh as possible. I agree completely, and I'm I've more so lately. I think even on the show, we've we've kind of gone away from you know watching second trailers and i think maybe you're in the same boat as me where i watch teaser trailers and then depending on the movie i'll watch that first trailer or sometimes movies don't get a teaser trailer and they just get a first trailer so i usually watch that first piece of content now and try to stay away from uh stuff when you get closer to and I'm finding that it, it sometimes it affects me, right? Like even with something like Knives Out or maybe even recently with 1917, like I feel like the marketing kind of gets in the way of the movie. And I wish I could be one of those people who just doesn't – who goes in fucking radio silent, like hasn't watched anything on right. something. Right, and, 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 and meet the movie at, you know, its own level, yes, right? Like, and, like you brought up something – really important there is that marketing shapes a film in a different way yeah so when you're watching a trailer or an advertisement or, you automatically have expectations yeah and and you're thinking the movie is going to be one way and yeah. then sometimes you know it doesn't matter because sometimes the movie can the, the movie can speak for itself in terms of it being really good or being something that maybe you're not expecting but then also kind of delighted by or it can do the a beautiful day in the neighborhood was that thing for me exactly like marketed a complete different yeah way. they're marketing and... it as a fred rogers biopic and it's not a fred rogers biopic if you want that watch won't you be my neighbor which is great as well but that's mm -hmm. more a traditional biopic the only thing is it's a documentary yeah. so um th that is a that is a perfect so i example. think it can go both ways and i mean yeah. even with something like trade Schultz, it comes at night um and a lot of A24 horse the elevator but they're doing um, that on purpose they are they're just trying to get a quick it's strategic. buck it, they're trying to get a quick buck right opening right. weekend but i almost feel like, it's like they're it's like they they're it's like when you're a kid and you don't want to eat broccoli and your yeah. parents put cheese sugar on it sugar on it or something yeah <laughs> yeah like that's sugar what they're doing broccoli, with it yeah. they, they know like um, it's good for you but you have to but get the tricking general you, masses they're sort yeah. of tricking you into eating it they're yeah. going to do that with saint maud yeah i know <laughs> but um and for me that i know that now watching a twenty four horror movies, but and also even again, then, you like, worked in, in social media yeah, and marketing. And marketing. You know... I understand it, but it does affect me sometimes. And I think recently, nineteen seventeen was the best example where I thought that's a really excellent trailer. Um, the movie I do not think is very right. excellent. And well, I the don't... movie is very much. Like... It, it, 
I mean, a lot of people have already said this. It's very much trying to play it as Dunkirk. Yeah. I but know, in World but, War One. Yeah. Dunkirk's a better movie. Um. Anyways, uh, back to Rise of Skywalker. Yes, the Duel of the Fates thing, which I didn't even watch that entire 30-second spot because I turned it off 15 seconds in because of that reason. All I wa- all I, I just saw that it was called Duel, and then I heard the, the Duel of the Fates was trending on Twitter, and I was like, oh, my God. Do you and think – got a question for you. Do yeah. you think that Baby Yoda is maybe going to overshadow Rise of, of Skywalker? Uh, could it tie into Rise of Skywalker? Um I don't think so because the last episode of Mandalorian comes out after. Um, no, but I mean, just even now, like no, Baby I don't Yoda think it, has become a part of. I don't think of, so. I think there's room for the dialogue in general. I, yeah, I understand, but like, I I think there's room. This is what I've always wanted. I, I I really think there is room for this universe to grow, and and you can have much like Marvel to completely different stories that may or may not tie into one another but in this bigger universe and still be super popular and their own thing and i think the baby yoda stuff depending on we'll review the next two episodes well episodes three and four of mandalorian which you guys sometime next week will put up um but i don't think it will overshadow it i think mandalorian is its own thing um i mean that character has to play into that universe somehow because of the way that they've shown it already and the way that it's a fucking baby version of Yoda's species, which we haven't really seen other than Yaddle. (laughs) And even then, you and your Yaddle. Well, I just, because again, Yoda, we don't know anything about Yoda, right? Yeah, or even just the species species. name. So like, and, and this is obviously, it's a force sensitive child. And like in a time where there aren't very many jedi or 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 force sensitive children around right um because this is uh after return Return of the the jedi Jedi. right yeah so i mean really like luke is supposed to you luke is supposed to be the last jedi right Right. like and so it's it's this character like i'm so scared (laughs) because i'm like you're scared for the child yeah either this child ain't making it to the end or they're gonna twist it some way where I don't know. It could be something to play into Rise of Skywalker, and then it maybe put it into hiding. It's a big or... reveal, like the episode right before Rise of Skywalker comes out might be a reveal, and then we, and then something in Rise of Skywalker, and then the last episode maybe uh, fills in some other gaps right. or something. But... I don't mean the Mandalorian overshadowing Rise of Skywalker just... either. What I mean, like I, again, going to do you think Simpsons... nothing in Rise of Skywalker will be as viral as. Yoda, baby. Yeah, Yoda. yeah, and and what I mean as well, like there's that episode of The Simpsons where they go to the petting zoo and they see the really cute deer, and then they see an even cuter deer, and then the the <laughs> the other cuter deer from before tries to block the even cuter one, and yeah. then they try to move it. So it's almost like BB-8 is like trying to block yeah. uh, Baby each, Yoda. Each movie has that. I remember Porgs were that thing right. in, in Last Jedi. I mean, um, will there be something, or is Baby Yoda that thing in in, in this? And, baby Yoda's uh, so hot right now. God, baby Yoda is awesome i love just, that fucking just thing. the thing that gets me every time i see him is the mouth the way that the mouth kind of like slightly opens in kind of like an awe kind of way or like an inquisitive nature and the eyes too are yeah. so great and um i sent you that quote which is amazing from uh Werner herzog who was like on set they they were like oh maybe let's do one take without the puppet and in case we need to do a cg version of it and he called them cowards and he's like he's like no you have to leave the puppet in and only have that version you cowards right (laughs) but you know what um, though going to uh phantom menace i think that was the one decision lucas made in terms of 
uh, changing yeah. things was up. Ironically, that Yoda. <laughs> yeah, well, the, because the puppet Yoda is terrible. Right, and then in, in that La- movie, and then in Last Jedi, they use the exact molds from the original uh, the, from Empire. Yeah. Right, so that's why that Yoda looks great again. I don't know why they did a different fucking version of the puppet for because George Phantom is gonna Menace. George. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I'm super. That Rise of Skywalker special look was essentially just you know a sizzle reel from like the 40 years of Star Wars history, and it was very you know emotional kind of going through all that and um, right there's a shot of lin-manuel miranda <laughs> so i don't know um hamilton skywalker a couple other trailers we watched let's go into antebellum which uh sort of looks like a horror movie but i'm not really sure what it's about uh starring janelle monet um from the producers of Get Out and Us. It, it almost looks like it's kind of trying to be like almost a movie about reincarnation or something. Yeah, like that. or something like, um, yeah, I have no idea. But you're seeing uh, the present mixed with the past, and, it, and she looks like she's hallucinating things or maybe traveling right back and well and forth also sort of focusing on realities like slaves like, during the civil war yeah. and things like that and then and how maybe it relates to what's going on in, in today's you know yeah in, and then it says like, from the producers of or from the from a producer yeah of get out yeah. and and us it looks interesting i will like yeah i, I, I mean, don't know what to expect from it but I, I don't even know what the story is yeah and just from the visuals like th- there's like a couple shots that kind of look like oh yeah the contemporary setting where like She's walking out of an elevator is very horror-esque, like a dress there's to a creepy kill kind kid, of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. But then there's that trippy stuff where the past is meshing with the present. So someone right. walks into the street in a horse carriage well, in the present. Well, it also makes you think like, of Candyman a little yeah. bit, which there, there's a new version of that coming out next year where Candyman also kind of looked at – you know, the past atrocities that African-Americans faced and also the contemporary setting of now and how things have, some things have changed and some things haven't, you know, which is what we talked about in Watchmen. Yeah. And being an allegory to, you know, uh, social political issues and, Mm -hmm. and, but also kind of intertwining it as a horror film. Yeah. Um, Emma, I watch this trailer. I didn't, it's not my jam. Um, I kind of dug it. I, I, I mean, I, Really like Anya Taylor Joy. Same. Um, of the Jane Austen novels, this is the one I have read, and um, I've seen the Gwyneth Paltrow version from the '90s, which okay. is also kind of fun. This is like an this is like a really kind of enjoyable sort of feel good adaptation that also kind of puts men in their place at that time period, and I do wonder that maybe the film will have a little bit of an edge to it given, you know, that you have someone like Anna Taylor joy. And it seems like they are trying to do something a little bit, almost kind of, you know, Baz Luhrmann esque with yeah, it. Not, it not, not make it contemporary, but kind of bring well, the a, comedy feels very sort yeah. of modern and, yeah. and things like that too. Yeah. And I like Bill Nighy as well. Cool. Uh, <laughs> and that's a focus features movie that's being released in February. Yes. Yeah. Another February film, I believe, Call of the Wild, starring <laughs> Harrison Ford. <laughs> um, and his fur boy? Uh, his grumbly voice. And, um, yeah, Harrison I tried Ford. to keep away from um, people with until CG- I met him. I, I, <laughs> a CG dog that looks, like, super janky to me. I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I, may, I yelled at you while I was watching the trailer from my couch, and I was just like, how can, like, 
the animals in Lion King, and as dead-eyed as they are, because they were almost too realistic, look that realistic. But this dog just—I know they've—they've they've done the thing that we kind of wanted from Lion King, where the face is a little bit more cartoony or animated, right? Um, than just looking like a very real dog. But then it throws me off because the dog is just—it doesn't feel like it's moving like a real dog, and it just feels like we're getting into fucking this weird, you know, animated like. Harrison Ford and his cartoon dog. Right. Is like, It'd be amazing if you saw like behind the scenes features and it was like, oh, we got Sean Gunn to do the uh, the CGI. Yeah, but it's just weird because like Rocket almost part. looks better than what this dog looks. I would like. agree. And, and like, the dog looks like an anim- Like it almost looks like remember the live action version of Marmaduke. Yeah, it looks like that. And I'm just like, why not use a real dog? Yeah, <laughs> like I don't. I mean. Like, I don't think the dog... Rex from The Two Popes yeah. is more right. convincing. I almost wish they had, like, a real dog. And, you know, like, for scenes where... They, they've done this in other stuff as well where, like, it needs to, like, dial a phone number and they bring in, like, fake puppet hands. Yeah. I wish they would do that. <laughs> it's just... it's It looks so janky. And, yeah. like, I... I'm just, I was like, how and it was th- supposed to be a fall film too. Like I remember yeah. people were like, okay, this is going to be the film that will push Harrison Ford for a best actor nomination. Cause he's only been nominated once for uh witness and uh, the Peter uh, Weir movie uh, back in 84, 85. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like maybe this is going to be like Harrison Ford's uh, all is lost. Yeah. You know, like him in the wilderness surviving in the Yukon. Yeah. And the Yukon, the unforgiven oh. Yukon. Uh, I don't know. The dog just is throwing yeah. me off. Like it just does not look good. It'd I mean, be amazing if Ford's beard was CGI. Where's though. the protest? Like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> Reanimate the dog. Um, Make Disney change it because they can afford it. Uh, There was a new Cats trailer. Didn't watch it. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't. Didn't want to spoil it. It, it's (laughs) stupid. I don't know. Like it looked. It's almost the same as the first one. I don't know. Still just as disturbing. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna get hella lit to watch that movie. Don't need to say much else. Uh, we watched the first teaser. Uh, we don't do many television things. I just, I should have just deleted it because it was kind of nothing. But uh, the AMC series Dispatches from Elsewhere uh, with Jason Siegel. Um, it looks like something Netflix would dump at the beginning yeah. of the year. Also janky, a good word for this because like, or I said it looked cheap. Like it did, like, I don't know. Some... Well, visually, like, I mean, at least when it comes to the lighting, like it has this weird kind of saturated look to it that doesn't really work and amc always their stuff kind of has that same sort of look but um this more so than anything i've seen just from the quick quick teaser trailer that they dropped like i i like the idea of this weird like is this a game is this real life kind of surreal kind of thing that he's going through but like this just uh, fantasy (laughs) yeah um but it just looks cheap like after watching something like Watchmen, which we just raved about or even mandalorian like again i think those are tiers of like how cinematic and not saying money into the production yeah not all television needs to be cinematic but like yeah, it needs to at least have some production value, and I just felt like it was lacking. In, yeah, like in something this like teaser. that could lend itself to look a little slicker, you know, like something almost like almost like a David Fincher, yeah. the game kind of look. Yeah, but yeah. even Mindhunter look is a nice looking show, right? Right, and like I, it's just this just looked cheap. Yeah, and I don't know, but 
And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was the E.T. commercial that dropped today. Jesus. I put in trailers. but They were watching um, that at Rogers today. There were people I, everyone, watching it, that at Rogers. Everyone was talking about it today. So I got into work, and I guess it aired during the Macy's Thanksgiving parade in the U.S. Yeah. And then there was an extended version, which is a four-minute long, essential, essentially a short film, um, which is basically a sequel to E.T. So if you guys haven't watched it, it's on the Xfinity uh, which is owned by Comcast. It's like their, you know, Rogers Ignite if you're here in Canada or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and it's a, it's um, associated with Universal? Comcast is uh, Universal. Yeah, yeah, owned so by, that's why they could do yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. I don't so, know how Spielberg signed off on he it. He did, though. though, and I guess he consulted throughout the whole thing. That's what I read today. So, like, uh, cinema. Yeah, <laughs> so, really. A vote um, for Green Book is a vote for cinema. You know, I, I, I think it's fine. I mean, I don't really love these, you know, oh, let's – uh, you know, feed off nostalgia and uh, do a pseudo. They did this recently with another movie too, didn't they? Uh, oh, well, they Joe, did it with... Joe Pesci in Home Alone right. for the Google. Well, um... and they also did it with um, Matthew Broderick with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, it was um, like a car commercial. Sorry, it wasn't Joe Pesci. It was Macaulay Culkin. But, no, they did um, one with Joe Pesci too. Did they? Right? Are you sitting on the he's, couch? Like, sitting on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I yeah. saw a video of him today doing a round table with Scorsese, De Niro, and Pacino, and he Does looks he like a biker. Patch? No, no, yeah. he's got no like a like a, a mustache a, a, and a, a handlebar mustache, yeah. and he looks like an old school like biker. Nice. I'm like, damn you, Joe Pesci, you are fantastic. Anyways, I thought it was cute. Um, I like that they brought Elliot, Henry Thomas yeah, back. Henry Thomas back, and I mean, he's having a resurgence. I mean, yeah, I mean, Mike Flanagan's Flanagan, been yeah. using him a lot, but it was interesting again going to Scorsese. Like, I remember see like he was he was a big in, in a couple 80s movies post et or around the same time cloak and dagger was another one that i really loved but then like he was he had a big role in uh gangs of new york like he played dicaprio's friend who spoiler gets impaled on a fence and then uh, dicaprio has to shoot him yeah and i was like oh this is kind of gonna be maybe a resurgence for him and then he you never know? went anywhere and, and then he anywhere. showed up in a bunch yeah. of flanagan stuff yeah yeah. Um, so I hope you, I mean, I hope this, I think because of the Flanagan stuff, they probably reach out to him and, and maybe they would have done it anyway. But yeah, I mean, he's still um, been working and, and I'm like Spielberg seems like one of those guys that likes to, you know, keep connected to the people he's worked with for the most part. And Henry Thomas seems to be, although he got pulled over recently for a DUI or something yeah, like something that. Like that. So. But um, this was cute. I don't know. I don't. I mean, unnecessary, but it was a nice surprise, I guess. Like, I, Elliot. Yeah. It was cute. It was just random. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I thought it was funny. Go check it out. Uh, all right. On to the news. Uh, I got to pull out my phone. Sorry. Um, We're playing that phone game. Uh, trailer track dropped this this week. Um, shout out to them. Uh, a prologue to Christopher Nolan's Tenet is debuting before Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. We don't have confirmation on this yet, but that's the uh, assumption is that it will play before Rise of Skywalker because Dunkirk, its prologue, played before Rogue One, Yes, and then uh, um, The Dark Knight Rises played before Mission Impossible. Yeah. I forget what it is, but they usually strike a deal. No, no, so it, was, it was mission. It was mission impossible. Protocol. Ghost protocol. Ghost protocol yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I was going to say rogue. I was going to say rogue one. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that uh, Nolan does this. This gets me very excited. That means that, I mean, we'll probably be going to hopefully knock on whatever wood is around me, uh, a press screening of Rise of Skywalker, um, most likely in the AVX theater. But I do have tickets for a Friday night showing in IMAX 2D right. uh, for Rise of Skywalker. I so. might have to get a ticket if if this is confirmed. Yeah. So um, I think I have two tickets, but Nevis might want one. But That's I also fine. have tickets for Whippy as well. I have, I have my yeah. ticket for Whippy. <laughs> yeah. So I have lots of tickets. So we'll figure it out. But um, super psyched. Hey, do you uh, like Star Wars? Um, yes. Yeah, so we talked a lot about Star Wars every week. They call me um, Ponda Baba. Have, have you seen the trailer in theaters yet? No. Or no. No, I haven't. Yeah, it's crazy. Good for him, you know? Yeah. I, good for Nolan. Yeah. Um, I finally saw it. I think I talked about it on the show. When you I did, saw yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Joker in 70 millimeter. They showed it before Joker. Um, so I'm. it should be like a 10-minute-long prologue, I think they said, or something like right. that. Right. Probably, probably it'll probably be like an opening minutes. scene, and then it'll kind of be like a sizzle reel At of... the end, yeah who's in it and what it maybe is about a little bit. Cause I feel like maybe that's around the time that they'll also release a new trailer for it or finally. Like yeah. Maybe the trailer that was Cause like the there. rumor is, or like people have been speculating that it might be a part of inception, but I don't know if that's to be believed. Like it doesn't really like a sequel or in the same or universe. set in the same world. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Nolan verse Nolan verse, baby. Uh, Albert Hughes is directing a reboot of The Fugitive for Horner Brothers. Talking about Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah, everything coming full will, circle. Will a CGI um, dog be in it? Who knows? Will they? Uh, will someone fall off of a? It's not a dam. It's like a sewage drain. No, it's right? a dam. It's a he, dam. Yeah, you know, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones is like confronting yeah. him, and he's like, and he, he, "I don't care." Him. Yeah, and then drops backwards. <laughs> I haven't seen The Fugitive in it's ages. It's great. It is very yeah. good. Yeah, I just I haven't seen it in a very long time. It's one of those movies I remember. Like my dad watching as a yep. kid. It's a, it's just a dad. Like, it's a dad it is a dad movie. movie. I mean, the original like, series was a dad show as well because yeah. dads grew up with the show. And then when they made the movie in the early 90s, it was one of those films that took people by surprise with how good it was. And then it went on to be nominated for Best Picture. And Tommy Lee Jones won Supporting Actor uh, that year beating, you know, Ray Fiennes for Schindler's List. Oh, wow. I should and, rewatch The Fugitive. Yeah, 93. Um, um, solid film. And, like, even, you know, looking at it now, like, Julianne Moore plays a doctor that he runs into right. for, like, five minutes. I do remember that, yeah. yeah. It's one of those movies that have just always stuck with me. And I've only really seen it when I was a kid, I think. I don't think I've watched it as an adult. Um, a couple, uh, stories about people failing upward talking about, uh, Elizabeth Banks is going to direct and star in invisible woman for universal, um, which has nothing to do with, with the, the invisible, invisible man, man, but it seems to also still be horror related. Interesting. Yeah. That's weird because apparently they really liked her pitch. Okay. So that's why they're doing it. And they're not necessarily interested in, in, you know, okay, well, we have to do this movie now that we've done this. They're just interested in hearing, like, okay, if you've got an interesting idea for, you know, these type of these types of horror films, we'll we'll give you a a, a certain amount of money to work right. with, and you can go and do it. So she's going to direct it and star in the movie, and then also like Paul Feig is finishing up his Dark Army film, which I think is like a zombie movie or something. Interesting. Yeah. That guy's been doing weird shit lately. Right. Well, it makes sense um, that he's doing something supernatural, right? Sure. Well, you know. <laughs> Henry Goulding. Uh, and then the other one is Noah Howley is going to write and direct uh, the new Star Trek movie. Right. So this came out actually before the Elizabeth Banks thing. 
and people were giving him a lot of shit for it, right? Because he made Lucy in the Sky, which bombed both right. And I think more people and, were talking about Lucy in the Sky with the announcement yeah. of Star Trek than they were talking about it when the film was released. And I don't think many of those people even fucking saw Lucy right. in the Sky. I mean, I'm the one person who actually kind of liked the movie. I mean, it hasn't stuck with me like. I mean, I still actually I stand by it. I I really did like the movie as as McClunky as it is. Right. Um, this came out first, and um, people weren't happy because wasn't there going to be um? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was Sarah J. Clarkson. Yeah, who was, who was going, going to... to direct it, and like I think that that was around the time where they were still contemplating doing the um, father son storyline between uh, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pine, mm-hmm. and. From what I gather now, this is going to be a completely new storyline, but with the J.J. Abrams cast. cast, and it has nothing to do with the Tarantino version. Which is still possibly going to be made, yeah. but then that would be with an original cast. Most likely. Most likely. So this is almost like when Tarantino was pitching his version of Casino Royale, yeah. where he was saying like, he liked Pierce Brosnan, but he didn't necessarily need to use Pierce Brosnan. And then, right. I mean, there, nothing happened with his Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And maybe nothing will happen with his Star Trek. Right. I still think that it could be a CBS All Access show. Uh, I mean, we talked about last week Tarantino writing a play, and he said he wrote a four, ep- four or five episode TV series Yeah, as and well. he's going to take his time um, to make his final film. Yeah. Um, but Noah Howley, I mean, again, I think... Th- I think they're probably giving him this based on his television resume rather than Lucy in the Sky. Right. Uh, although Lucy in the Sky space movie, I guess you can uh, have some connections there. But Well, they, and also he was going to direct Doctor Doom and then that yeah. seemed to kind of fall apart as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, people are giving him shit just because he made one movie that bombed and, and people But a lot of people like, don't but, like Legion. And to um, be fair, I've only watched the first season and I like it a lot, but yeah. I kind of fell off. Same. Um, Fargo uh, though is good, and then like that's coming back next year. But he's such a visually interesting director, right? And, like, uh, but maybe his stuff works better on television than it does. Yeah, in film. maybe. Like but... it did feel like with Lucy in the Sky, and like a lot of people didn't like it. And I, I know you are the, the the one guy, and I I love you for it because like you know you stick to your guns. But the thing that I I understand the crit- criticism towards is that he is basically using his bag of tricks that he's learned through his television experience and applying it all yeah to sure. to the maybe he'll, he'll be more restrained with this i'm sure yeah uh, i'm who knows but i i feel paramount will and jj will rein him in a little bit right um or he'll like, follow the guidelines of what have has come before because star wars is a very uh, star wars star trek and Star Wars, for that matter, are both very specific in terms of like what they're doing stylistically. Yeah, right? like James James Wan was it James Wan who did the third one, or no, it was the Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Justin Lin. And it, I kind of like that movie, though. So do I. I like Beyond. I like Beyond not, too. Not, but the, like, not the uh, Barco Escape version, though. But I'm not saying it wasn't Fast and Furious in space. No, right. No, no, like no. so, it's not like he brought right. Like a lot of, and especially if you try to do something new, like the fans will jump down your throat as quick as possible. And we've seen that with Ryan Johnson with Last Jedi, yeah, where like he tried to actually do something really unique and different with that film, and still try to also be a Star Wars movie. But I'd argue JJ did that with 2009 Star Trek. I would agree with that as well, and I think that's probably JJ's best movie. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't disagree with that as much as I probably 
But I think they're going to have to Star kind of Wars, keep a, but... a, a leash on, on Noah Howley a little bit because, like... Will there be shifting aspect ratios? Probably. <laughs> At least some point. I could see something like that happening. Uh, we'll see. Um, that Captain Kirk dick some... has made you soft. <laughs> Good lord. Um, Ellen a... Burstyn would be amazing in a Star Trek movie. Yeah, Although they... she was in Interstellar, so... I wonder who is Dan Stevens going to be in it. Who else will be in it? Right. Um... Warner Brothers, uh, there was a bunch of news with their DC stuff. Um, there was an article in, was it Variety or something, where they went over like their plans for the next little while. Speaking of J.J. Abrams, supposedly took a meeting to talk about Superman, which weirdly, Oh, the Michael B. Jordan stuff as yeah, well. And yeah, and Michael B. Jordan was a separate conversation. He pitched a version of Superman um, that he wanted to do. Um, as well as looks like Suicide, the Suicide Squad, <laughs> and uh, Birds of Prey are both going to be rated R, and um, and that's pro, and that's probably has something to do with Joker. Oh, one thousand percent. I think a they're billion dollars success, and they're more comfortable with that, right. right? Like, and and I mean, I feel like they are finding their way a little bit again. I mean, they talked about Green Lantern Corps maybe still happening, and um, uh. And kind of where they're going to go with the DC universe of it being more singular takes, which I think is a good call. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, and I guess there's been problems with Birds of Prey a little bit. They brought in Chad um, uh, Stahelski Hels- yeah, um, like, to yeah. bring in and do reshoots for Birds of Prey. John to, Wick director. Yeah, yeah, to spice up the action sequences. So I'm surprised I haven't heard more people talk about that. Like spice a, it up. Um, I guess, like, I mean, he's he was a stunt coordinator as well, right? Right, yeah, so, he I worked mean, with uh, Lana and Lily Wachowski. Yeah. So. so I don't doubt that he's, he is mostly being brought in for that background to kind of maybe the action sequences didn't quite work how they were shot originally. Right. So, so maybe that's um, where they also add some of the... Uh, you know, R rated yeah. sequences into that. Because again, even from the Birds of Prey trailer, we saw, again, I keep using the word clunky or clunky, but like, it, it and janky are my two favorite words this episode. It looked but, cheap. Like, some of um, like the actual sets and the production design looked like something you would find in Laser Quest. <laughs> sure. Um, um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I'm I love curious Laser to Quest, see. Though. We should go. We should go. Uh, sure, I'm down. Uh, <laughs> But it looks like because Bad Robot is now signed with Warner Brothers as well as a... Uh, it's Warner Brothers? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Why do I think it was Universal? No, I'm pretty sure it's Warner. So, Because um, okay. he signed on to make television movies, all things with like, right. you know, Warner Brothers, HBO. Right, right, like, right. So they think that Bad Robot might get more involved in some of the DC properties as well. So. Which makes sense because, like, I know Abrams in the past has wanted to do a Superman movie as well. I think, like, that Red Planet. was Planets. attached to one at one point. Red wasn't Planet, he? wasn't yeah. it? And the Mark Millar. Red Sun. Red Sun. Red Sun's the Russian Superman. Like, if Superman crashed in Russia instead of America, but... So um, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, basically. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> I uh, want them to reboot Suicide Squad again and call it a Suicide Squad. So we have Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, and, and a, a Suicide, Suicide Squad. Um, the uh, remake of Force Majeure has uh, finally got a release date. Sliding into theaters valentine's day like what you sliding downhill uh, collider i can't take credit for that uh will ferrell uh julia louis dreyfus uh i'm assuming we'll get a trailer soon yeah um probably within the next couple of weeks yeah what studio is it oh fox searchlight so we'll probably get it with a hidden life yeah we probably will um i 
I love force majeure. I do too. Uh, so I'm like, like I don't know right? about this, but uh, we'll For see. For the people that didn't know. watch it because they were afraid of subtitles. Yeah, I mean, I like both of those actors. So well, the just... original guy from uh, uh, the Wildling from Game of Thrones, who's in mm-hmm. Force Majeure, is in Downhill as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Is he playing the same role? I think so. Basically. Yeah, just in English. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Good for him. That's he cool. does those uh, those hotel commercials. Yep, he does. So weird. Um, I'm morbidly curious about this. I mean, like, like maybe it'll work be- work because it's what it's it's um, Jim Rash and Nate Faxon, yep. right? And actually, Nate Faxon and the way was way in, back was in a- uh, Charlie's Angels. Oh yeah, he is. He's one of the main. He like, has such guys. a weird kind of Face. like goofy look <laughs> yeah. to him. I love um, him though. He's great. I love I love both Jim Rash and him. Like, yeah. and they the way way back is actually excellent. And yeah, it's um, a solid little summer movie that kind of has been forgotten about. And they also and, wrote uh, um, the Clooney movie too. The Descendants. Uh, yeah, the they Descendants. they co-wrote it with uh, Alexander Payne and, and Jim Taylor. It's going to be interesting that like when that Ben Affleck basketball movie comes out, The Way Back, it'll be confused <laughs> with The Way Way Back, yeah. and then the Peter Weir movie, The Way Back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot it was them. They wrote and directed this version, yeah. right? Yeah, cool. Yeah, they're good guys. I, I like those guys a lot. Yeah, Jim Rash on, on Community is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's great. Uh, more Batman news. Oh, isn't he, oh, is, also, oh, isn't he in uh, one of the Captain America films? Jim Rash? Yeah, yeah he has a, sh- a very small role in one of them. Like He's uh, the guy behind the scenes of one of the movies, isn't right. he? Um, or like, isn't he like a stage manager or something? Yeah, and yeah. I think Civil War. Yeah, I think Civil War, where he comes back and he starts talking to Tony Stark, doesn't he? Yeah, or something like that. Um, because they had those community cameos throughout them because of the Russo brothers. Um, the Batman added uh, John Turturro as Carmine Falcone in uh, in the Batman. Um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> this cast just keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and, and really interesting. Like yeah. that's an interesting choice. I hope he's as much of a fuck boy as he was in Gloria Bell. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, Gloria Bell, great movie. Carmine just leaves the room and never comes back. Yeah. Cause he was um, originally played by uh Tom Wilkinson in yeah. Batman Begins. So, yep. Uh, this cast just, I, I'm oh, fuck. I like, I love Matt Reeves. So I'm, I'm, and I keep getting more and more excited for this Batman movie. Right. Um, I feel like, again, we got Batman content, but it was not great in Justice League and, and Batman vs Superman and, and hashtag like release that. the Snyder Cut. Um, no, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> God, I, I tweeted that of being like, I hope they do release it, and I hope so. It's people can even, just shut up, and about I it. hope it's even worse, worse yeah. than the version. We and then got. it'll be even better to see the people that wanted it justify that it's actually good, better, yeah, but when it's not. And Although I will like if if it had and it won't, but if it had Henry Cavill with his Mission Impossible mustache, mustache yeah. I'd be like, okay, That's, I appreciate that at least. Uh, where do we want to go next? Let's go to this one. We can skim over, but uh, there's a Michael Jackson biopic in the works from Bohemian Rhapsody producer, so they purchased the rights to Jackson's. Will it include some of the not so great? No, stuff? because it's his estate that is that is sold doing, the rights, yeah. so they're not going to. I'm include assuming any... in that contract it means it says you cannot. So it'll basically you know. just be propaganda. It's bullshit, dude. Yeah. Um. 
let's go to Yorgos Lanthimos is directing a new miniseries uh, based on a bonkers true story is what Collider said. Do you know much about the story that it is? Uh, no. What, what's it about? Uh, let's say let will be an adaptation of Mark Seal's acclaimed nonfiction book, The Man in the Rockefeller Suit. Oh, yes. It, I do know that story. So that was originally going to be a movie with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And yeah. I believe Walter Salas was going to direct Searchlight. it. Searchlight. Yeah. yeah, who directed The Motorcycle Diaries. Um, so, yeah, it's about a guy who... Uh, Impersonates Nelson Rockefeller, of, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I love Yorgos, so... Well, it's interesting with him, like, right now, like, obviously the favorite has afforded him um, a lot of creative freedom to do whatever he really wants to next. Oh, this and is I... through Searchlight TV. Yeah, which I've never... I didn't so it's know it's Fox Searchlight's television branch? Unless it's a part of Disney Plus somehow? No. <laughs> interesting but what i was going to say with yorgos is that he's also trying to get a jim thompson uh novel off the ground which was recently announced and there was a time where he was working with with amazon uh and colin uh farrell again to do another series but it never and then i was reading or listening to something that jeff snyder (laughs) i have to give him credit i guess uh was talking about like he's also at fox searchlight with another movie called poor things which would reunite him with um uh emma stone Cool. Yeah, I don't know what where the Searchlight TV stuff would end up. I think that's the studio, so maybe FX or um, yeah, or Hulu, right? Because a lot of the FX stuff yeah. is headed to Hulu, Hulu afterwards. Yeah. So I'm assuming it'll be FX, but right. we'll. See. But will he do it? Because again, like he was working with Amazon on something, but I think what this shows you is that Fox Searchlight specifically wants to keep working with him. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brolin, Don Cheadle, and Sebastian Stan, all Marvel people, are going to be in uh, talks to star in Steven Soderbergh's next movie. Kill Switch, right? Kill Switch. Which is like a 1950s home invasion film. Looks like that. Yeah. Um, apparently, though, Soderbergh has no agent. So, like, these uh, contracts or, or, you know, in talks are like verbal agreements. Right. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I just found it interesting that they're all like prominent MCU people, <laughs> right? Well, also the, uh, speaking of Soderbergh, the Limey is is uh, getting a, a re-release uh, on 4K digital only, but um, the 20 year anniversary uh, was this year, so it's kind of cool that you know people can go and check out that film. Cool. Uh, and then two more pieces of news. Uh, Charlie Kaufman is Hell writing a yeah. book. I sent this news story to you because it. Uh, I don't read very often anymore. I'm just not. I just there's too many things, and I'd just rather watch a movie or TV. Right. I, I do read graphic novels and comic books still, um, but I haven't read a novel novel in 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 quite or some eat time. Or some Doritos. Um, yeah. Uh, but Charlie Kaufman's writing a book about a uh, film critic who is attempting to watch the longest movie ever a made. A three-months-long movie, film, right? Yeah, which has scheduled bathroom breaks, shower breaks, maybe sleeping <laughs> breaks. Like, there are intermissions built into the movie. That, like, and, like, I, they don't know much. I think he's either a famed or a failed film critic or something, but, like, I don't know. It sounds fucking interesting. And, uh, it I'm, sounds a lot like Synecdoche, New York, where you had this playwright and and theater director played by philip seymour hoffman basically trying to create a play within this stadium and 
basically building a whole world within this microcosm and never actually getting to a premiere and like wondering why we're even doing this in the first place. Yeah. So I have the Collider article up here. So the and it's book, called like Antwood or something? Antkind. Antkind. And um, so Antkind follows B. Rosenberger Rosenberg. <laughs> Um, uh, a down-on-his-luck film critic who discovers, as Kaufman puts it, an impossible movie. Um, It's a film that lasts quite literally three months long with bathroom breaks built in. Um, But he's the only one who has seen it because the print is now destroyed. He... If he can find another copy, could this film change Rosenberg's life for the better, or will his impossible search cause his whole life to fold in even further on itself? So maybe it's like, oh, this I like this. Uh, yeah, it's that's uh, cover art too. It kind of has like almost like the classic, uh, you know, Looney Tunes kind of look to it. That's kind of mimicking like you know a, a Saturday matinee kind of film. Yeah. And then so his quote here was, there are no budgetary limitations in a novel. There's no studio oversight. There are no focus groups. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so Random House is uh, publishing the book, um, and they've just kind of let uh, let him do his thing. They said they never, uh, like they didn't insert themselves. And then the VP of Random House said, I've been talking to Charlie about this novel for almost eight years and watching it change and recalibrate and grow. Antkind is a hilarious, devastating, epic mind fuck. I've never read anything else like it. Well, it's um, also funny because I, I don't know if we talked about it last week or not, but uh, Jesse Plemons was talking about yeah. uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is his uh, movie coming out hopefully next year through Netflix. And uh, Plemons was saying that they used about like 15% of the, the, novel. Uh, the novel dialogue-wise and just went into Charlie Kaufman's uh, narcotic or neuroses, yeah. right? Like it's – I do oh. want to read the actual – uh, plot synopsis that's on Goodreads. Again, shout out to Collider. Uh, B. Rosenberger Rosenberg, neurotic and underappreciated film critic, failed academic filmmaker paramour, shoe salesman who sleeps in a sock drawer, <laughs> stumbles upon a hitherto unseen film by an enigmatic outsider, a film he's convinced will change his career trajectory and rock the world of cinema to its core. His hands on what is possibly the greatest movie ever made, a three-month-long stop-motion masterpiece that took its reclusive auteur 90 years to complete. <laughs> B knows that it, in, it is in his mission to show it to the rest of humanity. The only problem, the film is destroyed, leaving him the sole witness to its inadvertently... Um, oh, God. Ephemeral? Genius. God. Uh, this guy's too smart sometimes to use big words. Uh, all, all that's left of this work of art is a single frame from which B must somehow attempt to recall the film that just might be the last great hope of civilization. Thus begins a mind-boggling journey through the hilarious nightmare, um, nightmare scape of Psyche as lushly, oh my god, Kafka's, Kafka? Kafka? Kafka-esque? Kafka-esque, which is yeah. a joke in The Squid and the Whale. Okay, there you go. As it's, oh God, I can't even fucking read this. <laughs> it's just like, too much. I gotta get an audio book. Obviously, I can't read. And a thesaurus, uh, dictionary. Yeah. I'm like that as well with him. So that's um, all good. Trapped in his. Anyways, guys, go read the synopsis because obviously I need a yeah, like Eric said, a thesaurus 
I'm going to get the audio book because obviously it'd be I, amazing I if it was read. read by him. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it or will Nick be, Cage. but I, that would be amazing. Uh, I wonder if he'll get someone to read the audio book. I'm sure but, he will. Um, anyways, it I can good. see maybe David Thewlis doing it. Yeah. And then finally, uh, the Indie Spirit Awards, uh, the nominations came out. We didn't talk about this last week, right? Cause it was no, afterwards. we didn't. We didn't. And they also um, announced recently online the LA Online Film Critics Awards. Yeah. Which I mean, is there'll be too many of these things yeah. coming out. I thought the Indie Spirits were interesting because it's like the first, I guess, big award Well, the Gotham Awards were announced not too long ago oh, as yeah. well, which is also kind of like the beginning of award season, right? And like you're, you're seeing right now where, you know... Um, these groups are voting for films that either have uh, a budget cap or are specifically the smaller movies because the, the outline says like, you know, we want to support independent cinema. So you're, you're getting some really interesting choices, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these films are going to be in full force when it comes to the globes and the Oscars specifically as much as I want you know, a movie like The Farewell to be nominated for Best Picture and Director and uh, Screenplay and, and all those things, it's it's not a, a, a surefire guarantee. It's really hard for these little movies to get noticed. So the thing By that... By these the, independent studios like Netflix and Disney. <laughs> right. But no, but, but there's the A24s and stuff know, like that. And like their rules, the Indie Spirit Awards rules are interesting because movies that are eligible are also films that aren't released theatrically within the year. It can be films that played at festivals. Yeah. So like The Climb was nominated for something. I can't But it's not coming out until next year. Till April, I believe, next year or or late March. So, and I I can't remember what the category was. I think it was either like screenplay or something like Mm -hmm. that. So like, so if a film is on the festival circuit still or doesn't have distribution, I think that that's where, you know, these award shows can really help a film and sort of, you know, bring more attention to them. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to see where the climb was. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Hidden Life's in there. A24 led all nominations. Um, yeah. Hidden Life. I was making the joke about Disney and Netflix because Marriage Story is also in there. Yeah, I get well. I get the joke, but we we were talking about it where where A Hidden Life was independently made. made. It was just bought, purchased by, by Disney. Yeah. Um, I just think it's funny. Like I know Searchlight is still technically in you know pseudo indie right. studio. If it was in house, like, I would totally like be like, yeah, yeah like it's, it's. But I mean, then we talked. We were talking with Ben Shane as well, and like um about this when we were waiting for. 1917 i think or something or no something before that but um and we were all talking and i was confused about the rules and i think you said you guys said it was if it's under 20 million dollars yeah there's a budget uh cap so like if the film exceeds that then it's ineligible yeah Yeah. so i i get it but um but but again like i love seeing movies like the last black man in san francisco coming back because i think like someone like jonathan majors gives one of the best performances of the year and, and I don't think won't he's get any love right no and and I think this is like basically it at this point yeah it's unfortunate um, which, yeah it's a shame so uh okay I think that wraps up this episode of the untitled movie podcast um thank you all for listening um next week we'll be back with a 
special episode. It'll be a little bit different than our typical episode where uh, Eric and I are going to be talking about our top 25 films of the decade. Will we um, have a movie that's three months long on it? You'll find out. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, any of them, none of them feel three months long, but um, yeah, I, I'm excited to have that conversation. I think our lists will have some overlap, but we also did a cool thing where I reached out on Twitter um, and got a bunch of lists from some of our friends and family and things like that. That so, is crowdsourcing. Um, I want to share some of their picks and their lists as well. Um, so please come back for next week's episode, and uh, which will be our 53rd draft, and you guys can listen to our top 25 films of the decade, each of ours. Um, if you guys like this, we do another podcast, like we mentioned earlier in the show, called Untitled Movie Reviews. Please go uh, subscribe to that channel. Uh, we have reviews up right now for 1917, Little Women, Frozen 2, um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari, yeah. Waves. All that stuff. Uh, a lot of them are in our TIFF roundups but you'll be able to get three or four reviews in one um on yep, those. and you can listen to um, how exhausted we are depending on where those episodes are <laughs> yeah so please go subscribe to that channel uh we'd really appreciate that go listen to those reviews um everything is spoiler free so you guys can either listen to it before you see the movie or wait till after you've seen it and see if you agree with us um would you like to know more <laughs> Uh, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can follow uh, all of my work around the interwebs uh, at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And I'm mostly uh, bumming around social media uh, at Matt Rohrbeck uh, on Letterboxd, uh, on Twitter, uh, a little bit on Instagram, you know, all that stuff. Just hanging out, being a cool guy, Trying having to. a good time this holiday season. And I'm Eric Marchin, host of Cinema Scene on Rogers TV, where you can find it on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. And I'm also on the social medias, usually also hanging around Instagram, Letterboxd, not Facebook, uh, not Twitter usually. sometimes, at EM6211. And until next time. Dental plan, Lisa needs braces. Stupid sexy Flanders.